Previously, we heard from Megan's family, friends, and the diligent deputies searching for Megan. But now it's time for us to change perspectives as we shift our focus to Megan herself. Let's transport ourselves back to the night of June 4th and allow Megan's own words to take us through the events as she lived them. By putting aside assumptions, we create a place where her story can provide clarity, dispel rumors, and address lingering questions that have been floating around the community. Through her personal account, we'll gain a deeper understanding of her experience and untangle the mysteries surrounding her disappearance. This is She's Missing. This podcast discusses criminal behavior, kidnapping, assault, and adult themes. While not explicit, listener discretion is advised. We ask that if you know Megan or her family, that you continue to help protect her identity. It goes back to when I was 14. We had grown up out on a busy highway headed out of town, and we had always begged our parents to let us sleep out on the trampoline all the time. Everyone else around us got to do it. That was like the cool thing to do. And my parents never let us. And a big part of that reason is because back then, this was kind of before, well, even growing up, cell phones weren't really a thing. So people would always break down, I swear, right outside of our driveway. And we always had the weirdest things happen. So of course, as parents, they didn't want something weird to happen while we were out there. But of course, as kids, we don't recognize that. We just think they're being silly and overcautious, but it it was what it was. So for whatever reason on this day, um, we had been out working in the yard and we had asked our parents if we could sleep out on the trampoline that night. And surprisingly, I don't even know what came over them, but they said yes. And we were so excited. So I remember earlier in the day, we actually, I, I want to say this is probably about like three o'clock in the afternoon. We went and put our sleeping bags and blankets out on the trampoline. That night after we had come back into the house, we were just sitting there visiting. And I remember specifically my mom, my dad, myself, my one sister was there. I don't remember anyone else, but our dog was out there barking. And it, it's not that that was necessarily uncommon, but... Every once in a while, something would just set him off and he'd just sit and bark. So specifically this night, he was. And I remember my dad got up and yelled out the window at him. And he said, Dad, shut up. And of course, he kind of stopped barking after that. And this was probably 1030, pushing 11 o'clock at night. Teddy's loud and persistent barking may have temporarily deterred a lurking predator. Unfortunately, this determined predator wasn't so easily discouraged. Despite Teddy's valiant efforts, this relentless pursuer would be back. We ended up saying prayers. We say goodnight to my parents, and then we head out. And it was me and my two younger sisters. We went out. I remember laying there. I was laying in the middle, and we just lay there and look up at the stars and we just thought this was so cool. Like, it was so silly, but it was just like, we never got to do this. Like, everyone else got to, but we never did. So, and then I remember just drifting off and going to sleep. Like, we didn't sleep good. Trampolines aren't comfortable to sleep on. I don't know why people do it, but <laughs> um, 
I remember kind of rolling over in the middle of the night and I had opened my eyes, but everything was still kind of that foggy, can't see clear. But I remember someone like standing over my head kind of. And I remember recognizing that, but then I just rolled over and went back to sleep. But as that happened, I just felt this hand come to my mouth. And I remember it, well, it startled me, obviously. So I opened my eyes and sure enough, like there is this guy just standing there. And so he hurries and puts his hand like over his mouth and just does the shh thing. And I was so confused. And then he picked up my pair of sandals, which I have no idea how he even knew they were mine. And then he handed them to me. So I put them on and he didn't really say anything. He kind of start walking off like he had my arm just by my wrist. And I realized like as this is all happening, of course my dog Teddy is right there just barking like crazy. And I start asking this guy all these questions like, who are you? Where are we going? Um, what time is it? Like, I was just trying to get anything out of him. And then I asked him, do you know who my parents are? And not that my parents are famous or anything like that, but just in the area, they're, they're pretty well known. My dad owned his own business and, and we can't even go anywhere without stopping and talking to somebody. So Growing up, that was super frustrating as a kid because everything took so much longer than it needed to. But I asked that and sure enough, he responded no. So at that point, that's when I realized something was wrong. So up until this point, I'm just confused. Like, it's the middle of the night. What is going on? I I start like trying to figure out what in the heck am I going to do? What's going on? And I think that Teddy could just sense that something was up right at that moment like I kind of stopped and Teddy ran up and just bit this guy in the calf and he had never done that before and I remember just secretly thinking like yes go Ted get him and then of course the guy kind of like jumps and he's like you better shut that dog up or I'm gonna shoot it and then I just immediately was like you can't do that. Like, that's my dog. Like, my dogs have just always been like, my animals are like my favorite thing. So I remember turning and I looked at Ted and I just told him to shut up, like, stop barking and he wouldn't. And so I remember, like, I just hit him on the nose, just trying to get him to be quiet. And he just looked up at me with these, like, big puppy dog eyes, like, I just don't understand what's going on. And I remember just being sick to my stomach, like, I'm so sorry. Like, I know, I don't know what's going on either, but I told him just go back home. So he turned around and he walked back to the house. And again, I'm just trying to think like, what, what's going on? What can I ask? I'm asking all these questions. I don't even remember. I'm just asking anything I can get an answer to, but, and not getting anywhere. So finally, um, we grew up, there's a bunch of it's out of town a little way, so fields surrounding us. What we ended up doing is walking through partially one field. We cut over the highway into another field. We're just walking out into the middle of nowhere. I'm like, okay, something's up. So I just finally stopped and I was like, I'm not taking another step until you tell me 
where we're going or what is going on. So he pulled out a gun at this point, just out of his coat pocket, and I don't remember exactly what he said, but it was something to the effect of, I've killed people before, and I'll do it again if I have to. And that was enough for me, and I was like, all right, cool, let's just keep walking then. When Megan saw the gun, the magnitude of the situation really hit her. It was an intense realization that her life was at stake. So we keep walking through the field and we crossed over another road and into another field. In early June, most farmers' fields have only been planted for a few weeks and would only have a little growth, making them much easier to navigate. Each one making cut through was roughly 15 to 20 acres, with narrow two-lane country roads between them. And there was a little dirt path where farmers or whoever would drive up and down the field. And right there, he had parked um, a little motorcycle and it had two helmets on it. So he took one and then I took the other helmet and we got on this motorcycle. I sat him back and I had to put my hands like on his side and we start driving. I remember my my Dare t-shirt. I had Skechers slides I loved. They were cool at the time, but they were pajama pants with slug bug, beetle. Yeah, I loved those things. Historical weather records show that the temperature was somewhere around 39 to 45 degrees Fahrenheit at that time. Now picture yourself riding on the back of a motorcycle without a jacket in that chilly weather. It's safe to say it would have been bone chilling. I just start praying because I don't know what to do. I have no idea where we're going. Um, all I, I know is something is wrong. Something's not right. And, and I'm thinking of every movie that I've ever seen in my life of like, okay, what could I do? How could I get out of this? And then I think to myself, okay, I'll just kick my sandal off and then we'll have to stop and grab it and I'll just jump off and run. Well, I do that. And we stop and grab my sandal. And sure enough, we are in the middle of all of these fields. So there's nowhere to run. Like I could maybe go try and hide in a ditch, but if he finds me, there's a gun. So that's not going to work. So we get the sandal and we start going again. And again, this whole time I'm just praying like, Heavenly Father, please help me. Like, I don't know what to do. I can't get out of this. And, and I'm thinking like my mind's going a million miles a minute. Well, we turn down this road and we pass this row of houses that I had, well, my bus would drive by, we'd pick up these kids at school. So I'm like, oh, perfect. I will just jump off when we get to that area and I can just run to one of those people's houses and knock on the door, they'll let me in, like I'll be safe. Well, we get to that point and I look down at the ground and we're going like 50 miles an hour, or I'm assuming so, that was about the speed limit. And the pavement is just like a blur underneath me. So again, I'm like, oh, that's not going to work because I'm just going to jump off 
And what if I break my leg and then he has a gun? Well, he'll shoot me. So I don't do that. And then I think to myself, oh, but he has the gun. And I'm sitting behind. So then I think I can just reach in his pocket and get the gun. And then do what? Shoot him while we're riding on this motorcycle? Like, that's not going to work either. I'm just starting to get frustrated because just all of these ideas, like I'm coming up with ideas, but just nothing's right. So then I'm like, well, street names. I can memorize street names. So then wherever we turn, then I'll know that's what street I'm on. So in case I need to contact law enforcement or something, I don't know, something, I got something. So I start doing that. And it was just street sign after street sign after street sign. And it just got to the point that I couldn't, I just couldn't remember him anymore. We'd gone a little ways. We had got on the freeway. And at this point, I'm just, I just don't know where we're going. I was so overwhelmed. Well, then we turned off the road. And right as we did, we had seen this billboard. And it was for the Idaho Falls LDS Temple. This billboard is located on Highway 20, which is the route connecting Idaho Falls to Yellowstone National Park. Back in 2002, the stretch of Highway 20 running through Idaho Falls had only a handful of billboards. One of those few was located right behind Megan's dad's office building. It had been rented out to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, meant to invite travelers to the visitor center of the temple. It was very distinct and hard to miss. On one side of the highway are commercial buildings, and on the other side of the highway are patches of residential properties. The houses are much closer together than the area Megan lived. I saw that billboard and where we had turned off, and then as we turned the opposite way down this road, there was a bunch of little houses, and he turned the bike off and coasted, and pulled into the driveway of one of these houses. So I was like, oh my goodness, like I know we're a kind of general direction where we are. Like we're not far from my dad's business. So that was good. Finally, like one positive was things were okay for that moment. This man was telling the truth. He obviously had no connection to Megan's parents, especially Daryl. Despite all the aimless driving around meant to throw her off, she had a clear sense of where she was. She knew her dad's office was less than 100 yards away, and that meant help was in reach. It was, we got off the bike as he had coasted into the driveway, and we started, we got off, we're walking up to the house, and I kind of stood behind him a little ways, and I tried to step back to see if I could get the motorcycle license plate, but it was too dark and I couldn't see it. And he noticed that I was kind of trailing back a little way. So he pulled me back up close to him. So that didn't work either, but that's okay. I, I knew had kind of where I was. So we go into this house and I was freezing cold at this point. Um, I had I sat down on his bed and then he asked me, if I knew what was going on, why I was there. And of course, I'm like, I have no idea what's going on. So he tells me 
that his family was out of town. So for the next three days, I was going to be his sex slave. And I literally just, my stomach just sunk. Like I was like, what is happening? And I'll be totally honest. Like I didn't even fully understand how that worked. Like we didn't have access to social media and technology and I remember having a conversation with a friend in like fifth grade and she kind of explained things. And I remember thinking like, you're crazy. Like, what are you talking about? So of course I'm like horrified. Like, I just don't even know what all this means. I know it's bad. I know it's definitely bad, but like, I just, I don't even know what to do. So I remember thinking, I'm, again, this whole time I'm still praying. And I remember thinking like, I'm just gonna just bear my testimony. Like maybe if I just tell him what I believe, like maybe heaven will open up and like some amazing rescue will take place. I don't know, something, something will happen. And so I did, and it was very simple. And I, but I, I emphasize like, you don't have to do this. Like you do know that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior, and he died for us, and you don't have to do this, and you can repent, and like, we don't have to do this. And he, I remember he just like looked at me like, what are you talking about? Like, okay, are you finished? And so that was it. And then I, and then things just went downhill from there. This podcast was produced by me, Emily. Be sure to stay tuned until the end to hear a preview of the next episode. While the timeline may not be exact, the facts of this case are laid out as close as the memories of those involved allowed. You can find more information about this podcast on our website, shesmissingpodcast.com. She's Missing is a Search Party Media production. Well, at one point, so I had asked him if I could go use the restroom. So we walked down the hall and as we had come back, he had, honestly, his place was trashed. Like he, it was really messy, but he had guns everywhere. He had like gun racks and right by his door heading into the rest of the house. Of course, there's a gun rack up there. And so I thought, oh, I'll grab one of those guns. And I can hit him, so as we're walking back into the bedroom, I grabbed a gun and I went to hit him with it, but he was already on to me. And so as he grabbed the gun, I ran to the door to try and get out and it was locked and it was one of those stupid like push turn ones and I couldn't like get it unlocked in time. So I didn't get out, but he grabbed me and I remember he threw his my arm back up behind my back and basically said that he would play nice if I did, but if I was going to act like that, then he wouldn't be nice. <laughs>